0: Hey everyone, welcome back to Weed Chat, where we discuss the science behind cannabis, and sometimes trial products available on the Canadian recreational market. I and the Cannabinoid Cherub, and joining me weekly are my co-hosts, Gorilla Ishu and Leo. Together, we have just under seven years of experience in the Canadian recreational cannabis industry, and we are excited to share our knowledge with you. Weed Weed Chat about it. it. Thanks for tuning in. This is our second episode, and today we are going to be discussing cannabinoids, like THC and CBD, as well as genotypes and phenotypes, and what exactly that means.
1: All right, well, let's start with cannabinoids then. Uh, THC and CBD, those are going to be the most common ones that you'll hear. Uh, What exactly do those mean, though? Uh, THC, honestly, in a nutshell, is the part that uh, helps get you high, helps give you those those effects um, that you, that you feel immediately. Uh, CBD is uh, a really fun counterpart that uh, it's, it's looked over a lot because it doesn't have as obvious as effects as THC. It's much more of a background player.
2: CBD is uh Worth noting is the thing that most people, at least, at least the hype right now around CBD, comes from potential medical benefits. And I, I don't want to guarantee anybody anything because the science is still being done, but uh, it's, it's the, the one thing that you'll hear a lot about that it's, it's showing a lot of promise in the, the medical space right now.
1: That's, yeah, that's very true. There's uh, a ton of things that (laughs) while working in the industry, we cannot talk about with CBD because most of it falls under that unfortunate medical space. Um, A lot of which like arthritis and inflammation, like there's so many things with different pain remedies, uh, different, like, like Leo said, you can't, you can't pin it to one, but there's so many different things that people have used CBD for effectively.
2: Yeah, CBD is, it's a weird one because, you know, you'll, you'll see, um, like we saw a lot of, of like creams or topical products, you know, products you apply to your skin that are, are based around CBD because they are really, um, they're really geared to target people who want to deal with some kind of, of condition, either local or broad. Uh, so even, even from a smokable standpoint, there is definitely a market for people who, want CBD heavy strains where there's negligible levels of THC and very high levels of CBD. And so you you will see uh, a lot of that in the medical space as well. Um, Again, we can't promise anybody any specific benefits. Everybody's experience with cannabis is going to be different. Your own biochemistry plays a lot to it. Uh, But I advise people to do their own research, look into it, look up uh, CBD. If you're interested in that, in that space, Um, there's a lot of really, really good references out there right now. And, Honestly, CBD is non psychoactive, so it doesn't get you high. So I, I do encourage you know if you're curious, go ahead and give it a try. Like you're not you're not going to have to worry about getting too high with CBD versus THC. So uh, you can uh, you can safely try a little bit of it. And if you're afraid of smoking it, there's capsules, there's topicals, there's oils, there's drops. Like the the ingestion methods are huge now. So if you're curious, try it. So something interesting
1: with uh with THC and CBD like like we said uh, CBD isn't exactly psychoactive it's not going to make you feel high but interestingly enough it can interact really uh well really varying ways with thc depending on the ratio there are some ratios where where cbd will 100 percent enhance the effects of the thc or make it um so that you're 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 getting a longer effect uh honestly that's usually how i would describe the differences to people too is thc is a, an immediate effect you get it now cbd is a longer effect it draws itself out and it'll actually build up a little bit and keep helping later.
0: Yeah, because there's a there's a a theory of critical mass, right? Like right. once it reaches critical mass in your bloodstream, its effects aren't only like l- like limited. It's it's more of like a continuous glow because it sticks
2: to you, right? That's the most yeah. That's the most commonly reported kind of anecdotal uh, uh, response. It's what you hear a lot of long term CBD users talk about. Uh, interesting thing, kind of kind of touching on what what Gorilla mentioned there. Uh, when you when you think of how CBD and THC react in your brain, it's important uh, to understand the, the receptors. And the one that the when you're you're ingesting it or smoking it, so inhalant or uh, eating it, uh, you're you're dealing with the CB1 receptor in your brain, your your natural receptor for for uh, endocannabinoids in your body. Uh, if you view that receptor as you know a little hollow square, THC fits into that square perfectly cbd is like a circle it'll go a little ways in but it doesn't quite latch on so you can uh you can see those different ratios and how those things interact it's why cbd in high quantities can actually do the opposite of what he mentioned and can actually interfere with thc's ability to affect you it's why uh, uh, you know <laughs> let, let's call it uh old Old uh, legacy market wisdom was if you got too high, you smoked CBD. Oh yeah,
1: um, almost think of it like a <laughs> like a gas pedal and a and a brake, right? The THC will get you there. The CBD will help kind of slow it down and ease out the experience. And you're gonna want to find a good median, a good speed to travel. You don't want to go too fast. You don't want to go too slow. You want to find a speed that suits you.
2: Yeah, I, uh, I I know we've talked about this quite extensively off the podcast, but just to just to kind of touch on it for for our listeners. Um, well, something that we we've discussed in the past is about part of getting high one of the most disappointing things is when you have a super super high thc strain and you can view the experience like a very sharp peak you launch the super high and then very quickly crash down um that's not always a fun experience for people there there is definitely a market who likes that but for the most part you feel great for a really short time and then you crash really hard and that doesn't mean you feel like terrible or anything after but generally you're ready for a nap uh if you have a little bit of cbd in your ratio not just pure high thc it it is more like a journey you get a much more gentle curve so you it it takes you a lot longer to get to that peak uh, of your experience but you also come down much more gently and if you're you know in dealing this with uh You know, smoking products, when you get into these like two to one ratios of uh, THC, CBD, or even the opposite, depending on the speed you want to go, you can get this really lovely prolonged experience. And I think uh, something that's really lost in the current market is people want to get high fast, but they don't think about how long that high is going to last. You add a little CBD in there, you generally get a much longer prolonged experience. You have just high THC with very little C B D. You generally get a sharp peak, come down crashing, and it's, you know, an hour, sometimes less. I've had, you know, weed in that high twenties, low thirty percent range, um that has uh, you know, thirty one percent, I think was the cap rate that I've tried. But uh it's not enjoyable. <laughs> I think of specifically to call it a brand Kinky Kush, which I know we talked about a little bit in the past, where it was you got high real fast, and then you fell on your face in like forty-five minutes.
1: Oh yeah, and I mean, conversely, on that point though, um, <laughs> Roar's banana split, mm-hmm. right? I mean, uh, we've we've had countless conversations about how it's such low THC. It it, it average about ten percent THC, but wow, does it ever kick you? It's it's really not about those numbers.
0: You know, I'm not usually a huge fan of uh, low THC strains, but Um, that one, banana split, banana split and Harlequin for me are the two like low THC strains that I have such an amazing high to them that you can just ride the whole thing out. And that's because, you know, at least Harlequin is offset by a decent amount of CBD Mm. and which makes it, for me personally, it's an all encompassing, perfect high. It's not, it doesn't take you too far. And like the body buzz, if I do anything strenuous, it's that one. That's the one I smoke immediately after.
1: You know, it it actually does bring a good point, too, back to something that uh, Leo said a little earlier, uh, referring to if you have so much THC in something, you, you do kind of lose out because you filled it up with THC. We can kind of relate back to uh, our last episode where we talked a little bit about terpenes. Uh, if you have all that THC in there, you're taking out some of the room for terpenes in a sense, right? You, you've got to have a cap. So is it really better to have a super high THC strain if it lacks in that terpene percentage or to have a nice mid range, good balance of THC, a nice little bit of CBD, your, your ratio and the terpenes that you want in a good percentage to really kind of pull that together. Right?
0: Absolutely. Like we're dealing with percentage percentages for terpenes in the single digits. And you don't want to edge too much of that out because that starts to edge your experience out, or you know, maybe not the experience, but the quality. But uh, you know, we're also dealing with its different forms. It's like it's acidic form and what all that means. Can you guys explain that to me? Sorry, I've been really wondering about this acid. Uh, the uh, the acidic like THCA is what it
2: is, right? Yeah. To uh, to to. to... I'll, I'll jump on this first just because I can shoot out these names because, God, I've used them so much. Uh, to, to help people understand long form, these, these letters we keep throwing around are actually referring to specific molecule groups. So like THC is tetrahydrocannabinol and THCA is tetrahydrocannabinolic acid, the acidic form of cannabis. All cannabis in the plant starts with THCA. It it doesn't just magically become THC except by time, heat or uh, alkaline conditions. It's why, you know, if you grow a plant at home, pick off some really dope looking buds and pop them in your mouth and eat them. Nothing will happen because you're, you're only consuming THCA. Your body can't do anything with it. Uh, and even, even the little trace amounts of THC that are naturally in the plant because just age and heat from the, the ambient room will cause a little bit, but it's so negligible. Uh, you're not getting anything. And it's also worth noting just to kind of follow the life cycle that, uh, it, it very quickly becomes something called CBN, which if you add too much heat to cannabis, it goes THCA, THC, CBN. CBN doesn't do anything but make you tired. So eating a plant, you might get sleepy because it has high quantities of CBN in the plant after it's old enough. But that's about it. Well, there's also like CBDA,
0: right? It starts off in an acidic form as well?
2: Uh, Yeah, CBDA is the same as as cannabis. It's just... uh cannabidiolic acid so it's uh uh cannabidiolic acid um but you're, you're you're just getting the same life cycle thc and cbd have exactly the same life cycle just they're they're it's it's an odd thing that they're the two most popular cannabinoids and they follow the same path they both start with an acidic form they become their active form thc or cbd and then they both after they either get too much heat or too much age become uh cbn and again, you know, CBN just makes you tired. The, the most common experience people tend to have with CBN is when they try and make edibles at home and they overcook their products. You know, you grind up some weed, you throw it in your favorite batch of brownies. This is a terrible brownie idea. Don't do it. There's better ways. Look up recipes. But, you know, you throw it in your brownies and you cook them like you would normally brownies. You're probably not getting high off those brownies. The oven was too hot for too long, and any THC you made very quickly became C B N because of the heat, and now all those brownies are gonna do is make you tired. Yeah.
1: I've actually seen a couple of things that are uh calling out C B N specifically as well lately in the industry. Um I don't know I don't know how true it is, they don't really show too much on it, but uh Soleil for a little bit there had uh one of their oils. Uh was that Renew or
0: I I believe oh. it was Renew. Yeah, yeah, I it think was it was CBN renew.
1: Oil. Yeah, which I thought was really interesting that they were finally kind of calling some light to it, but they they didn't really call any light to it. They just kind of subtly called it a CBN oil on the side, but it was never really referred to that in a direct light, as as far as I saw.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was a, it was, it was strange. It was nice to see it, but they should really have at least educated people more about it. they were just like, here's the thing that you don't understand. You got CBD and THC, like. Uh, it, it was just kind of out kind of at a left field in my personal opinion. I was glad they did it. It's just, yeah, there was nothing calling attention to it. There was no explanation of it on the bottle. It's like, which,
1: you know, I think I'm wrong. I think it was actually their unplug oil.
0: Oh, was it unplugged? That which would make
1: sense anyway, right? Being CBN, sense. it's going to be more sleepy. It's really good for exactly what they were saying it was good for. But I, I don't recall them really calling it CBN very much actively in the public.
2: You're you're seeing more uh, CBN getting called out in the legal U.S. markets. Like uh, I won't call out a specific place, but. Um... When I when I was visited and uh, hit up a legal dispensary, uh, one of the things that I, I saw being sold there were CBN patches, transdermal patches. So you could you know slap it to your arm or the inside of a wrist. They said to use a, a venous part, so you know like your wrist or ankle were better because it less skin between your veins in it. Uh, but it just provided you a low dose of CBN through the day, and they were billing it for uh, people with things like anxiety because CBN since it has that kind of sleepy effect they were kind of claiming that uh similar to cbd it could help reduce that anxious energy by just applying a little bit like almost pumping a break uh i didn't try it i wish i had but uh it was a really really interesting idea
1: i mean since we're on the topic of of less talked about cannabinoids um <laughs> i, I kind of want to bring up thcv mm-hmm. i've uh I've been in love with that one actually since uh, Leo taught me about this one years back now. Uh, <laughs> really fun because it it, it it only takes little, little amounts, the smallest dose of THCV, and it can really amplify your effects. Uh, I believe it's anything less than 0.4%. THCV mm-hmm. will amplify the effects of THC whereas anything over that will actually do the opposite.
2: It's uh it's super weird. And I mean you you uh called out Aurora's Banana Split earlier and this is a good example of a THCV rich product. It has just the right amount of THCV in it uh to act like a magnifying glass for the little amounts of THC in that product and a 10% product hits a lot heavier i remember in the the early days of 2018 when you know high thc strains were hard to come by There was a lot of companies all vying for very limited supply and you know we were all trying to like literally beat each other up to try and just get one box of weed in consistently uh i remember stores having to close their doors because they couldn't get any enough product or were selling out so fast it was the wild west uh it you know i don't think we'll ever see that that's again in this industry but uh telling cons- consumers who came in and were super upset that we didn't have anything over like 15 percent and i'd recommend this to them and with like maybe one or two exceptions of hundreds of customers people would come back and be like holy crap that shit was amazing how is it so good at at 10 and every time you had to try and explain what thcv was <laughs> and then that's all they wanted
1: Oh, yeah. Honestly, every time I sold that strain, I, I gave people warnings ahead of time. Like, hey, I, I know it only says 10% on it, but please take it easy. And they'd always give me that eye, like, oh, yeah, okay, it's 10%, sure. Uh, trust me, please just only have half what you'd normally have. Like, you know, start start low, Even though, even though it says it's not very high THC, and you may have had something with higher percentage. Please don't take that as any indication of how this is going to hit. And yeah, sure enough, they'd come mm-hmm. back, and just like Leo said, they'd wow. Yeah, that knocked me on my ass, or that knocked my socks off or I need more of that. Just wow.
0: Yeah, it's a, it was always a point of pride selling selling that.
2: <laughs> like yes, it's it's one of those uh, it's one of those things too, right? Like where uh, where you're dealing with products where the consumer generally is viewing THC percentage as a sign of quality. Uh, when when you can kind of transition them to look at these other you know lesser known cannabinoids and help explain that yeah this product it may only have ten percent THC, but that means there's more room left for really you know much better uh stuff in there like when you start getting your terpenes in there and you combine that with just a touch of. Uh, THCV and now you've got a product that shouldn't be good by their standards you know like by, by their measuring metric this product should not be good but they buy it for lack of any other option go home try it and now their whole perception of what is good weed has been shattered
1: oh yeah honestly those are the best though that's that's when you can really get someone to to see the differences in the plant right it's it's unfortunate because I, I even had that same thought about it of, oh, no, THC, that's the number that you want to look for. That's, that's, that's the, the grading. No, no, I was sorely wrong. And it, uh, it took a couple of those experiences to, to to learn that.
0: Yeah, something I'd really like to highlight is, unlike a lot of people think of liquor, um, you know, higher alcohol for a lot of people would, would indicate it's better. Like, I know for a long time when I was going through, uh, the alcohol industry, I really enjoyed beers over 12% because I enjoyed, like, the bitterness the alcohol lent, or lent to the actual brew itself. I always found that to be quite lovely. Um, but yeah, when I came over to THC, just because, you know, I had a little bit of a, a toxic thought from the industry leftovers, you know, the higher the THC, the more expanded and concentrated the experience. But I found that most often the opposite direction with, like, um, again, going back to Harlequin, Harlequin for me was a perfect experience. And it still is to this day, even though, like, i crazy into the concentrates right now. I still, if I ever get a chance to smoke that, I will because it's such a great experience and it's so focused and you can feel how the terpenes are interacting and how everything's just coming together to culminate into this, like, next level thing without being high THC and you know from my personal experience I came in not thinking that was the way it was and then it just happened to be how it turned out
1: oh I mean conversely though kind of working off that same talk you you bring up a good point without bringing up a good point of (laughs) it's not even about the alcohol percentage think like everclear I honestly, I personally, and this may differ with a lot of people, but I don't know many people that want to drink Everclear, and it's one of the highest percentage of alcohol that you can find, right? It's really not about how messed up you can get. It's about what kind of messed up you want to get. Well, (laughs) obviously,
0: within reason, you can go blind drinking Everclear. (laughs) That is true. It's like, I'm like, 50 is the highest I'll go, and even that tastes terrible. (laughs) But yeah, I get exactly where you're coming from. Yeah, it's, I just usually never experienced an amazing liquor experience at the lower levels. Like, cause then, you know, part of the experience for me was the, the nice buzz.
1: Well, for example, you like beer, right? I love beer. Beer is a lower percentage than a lot of liquors, right? You could yeah. get vodka mm-hmm. for 40%, but you, ch- you tend to go for beer at 12% at most.
0: Well, yeah, 12 right? percent's like for me, the sky for beer. It's like where I find it tastes the best.
1: But you're still not picking the higher percentage of alcohol content oh. just because there's more alcohol.
0: Yeah, right? well, yeah. I, I have a weird thing where I focus and I get exactly what you're saying. And you're making a very good point. For me, like, you know how 30 for plant matter or is the cap. So for me, in with the beer indus- industry in general, 12 is 12's the cap. For me, that's like the max you can possibly reach. And then liquors the concentrates
1: so you found your ratio
0: exactly my golden (laughs) number 12 is as high as i'll ever go and i usually sit comfortably at around seven or six so when it came over to weed i just did the exact same thing with harlequin
2: it's uh (laughs) it was very strange it was i feel like it's worth noting just because you uh you briefly touched on the cap for for plant matter uh i, d- I just want to point out to people that when when cannabis is grown it's then dried and cured so there's a there's a theoretical maximum uh thc that can can exist in a plant and it's been consistently challenged for years back in the 70s i mean you'd be lucky to find something over 10 now we're consistently hitting high 20s uh hitting 30 is possible but very hard it's possible to slightly exceed it but again exceptionally hard it's not to say that as we continue to breed these plants and you know very very specific breeding tools go into trying to push that further that we won't find ways but at these levels of THC you're sacrificing other things trichomes can only hold so much and when 30% of them is filled up with THC that means you're sacrificing on everything else because there's also fats and lipids that you they have to be there. They have to exist for that trichome to exist. So there's only a so much space <laughs> for, you know, dozens, sometimes hundreds of cannabinoids in trace quantities, terpenes, flavonoids, like all these other chemicals. So uh, it's just important to, to understand what that cap means that, that the uh, cherub referenced.
1: Yeah. And I mean as it sits, I think the highest that it's even possible to get right now is about thirty five percent. Anything mm-hmm. anything higher
2: that is is they're they're lying to you. <laughs> really? Oh yeah. Oh for sure. If someone tells you that they smoked fifty percent weed, that's a lie. Be skeptical, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like there's there's no such thing on any market. And if someone told you that, it's a sales tactic. Take it with a grain of salt. Question, question, question. I mean, yeah. there, there, there's a lot of trust that a lot of people have with their legacy dealers. And I, I won't go too much into that because it's really not the purpose of this podcast. But, you know, just just always question if you're starting to hear numbers like 40, 45, 50 or anything above that. Because uh, they may be talking milligrams per gram, which uh, we can touch on. But most likely they're telling you percentages. And uh, there's just no way.
1: Not unless they're talking concentrates.
2: No, yeah, unless you're talking, you know, the asterisks on this. If you're talking, like, your BHOs, so your, your, you know, hydrocarbon extractions like shatter or wax, yeah, you can exceed that, but that's because we've refined the heck out of it. (laughs) Yep.
0: You know, we've been talking a lot about the plant, so let's just, like, slide into genos and phenotypes, because... It's another very interesting topic that I am hungry to learn more about.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, genotypes and phenotypes, uh, big words, um, but really not, not that big of a description. Um, the way I like to think about it is uh, genotype pretty much just describes something that that comes from the same parents, right? So uh, if you got siblings, you and your siblings are all of the same genotype, right? Um, phenotypes, it would be the difference between those those different genotypes. So the differences between you and all of your siblings, you're not all the same. You have your own characteristics, your own traits, you all kind of differ. Uh, So genotypes think Blue Dream is a genotype or Jack Herrera is a genotype, whereas phenotypes would be Blue Dream done by different people or Jack Herrera grown by different people or grown somewhere else or even just different plants grown by the same person that supposedly have the same parent it it can it can vary it's all about how it's grown and the the conditions it gets that it starts to get those different traits
0: yeah like think of it as you have a grandpa and he has three sons then you're part of the smiths one and <laughs> then there's the two other smith families you're all still smiths it's just you're not the same smith
2: <laughs> exactly ironically your your point brings up uh, a a funny thing your your example um, when, when dealing with plants, a, a big part of the reason that, uh, we can get consistency is cloning. We've, we've kind of ch- touched on that a little bit before, but, uh, is exactly what the cherub referenced where, you know, grandpa has three sons who then has sons. Uh, you're starting to talk genetic drift and you can actually see the genotype in plants start to change the further away from that parent plant you get.
1: Which I mean, you can almost look at, uh, Jean-Guy. Mm -hmm. it is just a phenotype of white widow. It's one of the white widows that was different enough that they were like, you know what, this is a different strain. And they called it Jean Guy instead that originated in uh, Quebec. Now Montreal, I believe. Yes. Montreal cannabis club. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And it's, it's technically now listed as its own genotype too, which is one of the cool things because it, it is that perfect example of genetic drift. It is a derivative of white widow, but it's listed as a separate genome anywhere you look.
1: Yeah, because it was different enough. It was able to mm-hmm. stand on its own feet.
2: And it's delicious for anybody listening. <laughs> yes. That shit is good.
1: <laughs> uh, I guess that kind of leads directly into lineage a little bit there. We can uh, we can actually look at uh, some similarities between plants uh, based on their lineage, the parents that made them up, and even their parents' parents. Um, one of my favorite strains is Afghani Kush. Um, Afghanistan Kush, because it is a parent to almost everything, uh, really fun fact actually, for for me at least, I'm a a bit of a weed nerd, uh, Afghani Kush being in a a, a very dry, flat plain, a lot of winds, um, it would actually take the pollen from the plants and travel it across the world. This plant would pollinate other plants in different continents on its own, just based off the wind and the travel of the, the pollen across the world that is why you see so many different variants of 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 strain of genotypes that are background in in afghani
0: like AK47 right mm. yeah it's an awesome strain by the way if you guys ever get a chance check out AK47
1: <laughs> like for 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 myself uh what i was uh, quite shocked i found out about jack Herrera being uh descendant of Afghani Kush, which it makes a lot of sense. If you smoke a lot of Jack Herrera, you got a pretty heavy crash at the end, and that's going to be those Kush genetics, that, that lineage of Afghani Kush, right? Um, it's kind of fun to see how you can, you can look back in the family tree almost of all these different strains and start to trace them back to, uh, to where they came from
2: something that I'll just uh, I just want to mention for any new listeners when you hear the the Kush reference in a name, it's specifically referring to the Hindu Kush mountain range. Um, you could I don't want to outright say anything definitive because the the history of cannabis is murky to a certain degree. Uh, but you could you could call that reasonably the birthplace of indica,
1: oh yeah. I mean, at the very least the most the most stable indica that that ever really came out of it. and, a huge parent to a lot of strains as well, uh, mm-hmm. the the Hindu Valley where 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 Hindu Kush just grows naturally. Uh, it's really cool because it is a, a valley. It's a bunch of large mountains around this little valley scape where. All the pollen is just kind of collected. Same idea with the Afghani Kush where it traveled across the world. Hindu Kush had a hard time getting out of that valley. Those big mountains really kept it stuck in this one spot. So it kept pollinating over and over and over. Hindu Kush on Hindu Kush on Hindu Kush. Just layered. So that really solidifies those genetics. That's one of the, the most dominant genetics you're going to find really is coming from a Kush because of that long time buildup.
0: Yeah, all that bi- barometric pressure keeping all the seeds swirling in, so they don't really escape the mountain range. They just keep hitting each other. It's yeah. Uh, I've always wanted to go, and I think it's I think it would be amazing. But it also brings up the point that the Hindu Kush is a land race, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's something that grows naturally in a certain region, like Hindu Kush from the Hindu Valley, it's a land race. Uh, there's a lot of variants that come from all over the world that'll just grow naturally in different environments, which kind of speaks back again to our to our last episode with, you know, the breeds, sativa and indica. Sativa plants generally tend to do a lot better in a more arid environment, something a little more warmer. That's why sativas a lot of the times are actually uh, uh, called uh, narrow leaf variants instead mm-hmm. of sativa plants. It's a term that I've been hearing a lot more regularly used. Um, is the narrow leaf and the broad leaf instead of, you know, the other terms. Um, And the reason for that is because it is so warm, it's spread out. It gives more room for the air to move between. It allows the plant to cool down. It doesn't trap moisture and and go moldy or anything like that, right? And we talked on that a bit before too. Um, But that's where you're going to see all of these different things, where they're going to grow naturally, where they're going to do best.
0: Well, it's like in in Jamaica, uh, it's lamb's bread. So my ancestors... And then for for Canada, oh. it's um, Texada Time Warp. right? That
1: makes me so happy. Yeah, you bring up a very good point because um, I want to call out good buds here. They started mm. growing a Texada Time Warp. Well, a Time Warp, but they grow on one of the uh, the uh, the islands in BC. Not quite Texada Island, but it, it is super close. Um, so it's, it's one of the closest true land races that we'll actually see in the Canadian recreational market because it was a BC strain grown in BC soil.
2: Land race adjacent. We talked about that a little earlier. <laughs> <laughs> yes, land race adjacent. I like that term. <laughs> uh, uh, I, just, I just want to touch on so people fully understand the term land race. We are, we are referring to the native species that organically grew. They weren't touched by man for, or at least purpose bred by man in some cases for hundreds, some speculate thousands of years. Um, so they they evolved naturally and pollinated naturally in the wild. They were just like any other plant out there, a naturally occurring plant, and they're called land races because they were the dominant species of the cannabis plant in that area the one that had specifically adapted to survive there
0: i guess one of like my true hopes for the industry when it comes to in regards to land races is as the world opens up and you know legalizes everywhere we'll be able to actually get like a true jamaican lamb's bread or like i know it would be like sealed for a while but we're kind of used to opening a package a couple months later so In general, I don't think we'd notice much of a quality dip and I'd really like to try like, just like actual regions of cannabis. Like how wine, you can buy wine from specific regions. I'd like to be able to buy like, weed from specific countries and spots of origin. It would be amazing.
2: (laughs) so really what, cool. what you're referencing is actually something called terroir it's a it's a term that refers to the soil, the sun, the climate you know generally the environment where a product is grown it's why you know, uh, uh, in the wine world we'd say the terroir of california is wildly different than that of france they're very different and so you can grow the same grape in both places and get wildly different results so long as you're doing a, a natural like an actual soil grow not uh not just indoor in perfectly controlled circumstances which you know to be a true land race you need to grow in live soil not not the other growth mediums and and options out there uh so yeah like terroir would be amazing i'm with you on that it would be super cool to to be able to get jamaican weed in canada and as someone who smoked jamaican weed in jamaica i'm I'm here to tell you that stuff is bomb
0: (laughs) (laughs) i'm so jealous and i can't wait (laughs) until you know the world's open enough because it's it's naturally trending that way like you're seeing the eu since um, america partially did it and canada fully did it you're starting to see europe like oh my god maybe
2: <laughs> i i think it'll happen like they the, the expectation in 2018 was about seven to ten years for the u.s market to federally legalize um the, that's the big hold up there like realistically if, if they would even just go uh transition their their laws to allow for Uh, decriminalization on a federal level we can start trading with california in inside of six months so long as the canadian government approves international trade which it wouldn't be too hard to do our framework's pretty solid right now so we just have to get quality checked the same way health canada does with everything else but importers would handle that the same way they do with liquor from overseas or other countries so it wouldn't be that hard it's just getting the federal legalization to occur so we're that's what we're waiting on and if the us goes the world follows like canada set an example we have made a lot of mistakes we continue to make a lot of mistakes that's the growing pains of a new industry but you know i i I think gorilla can attest to this as well but from 2018 when we saw the inside of a crazy busy retail store to now the the market is not even close to what it was like in two years it's entirely changed
1: Oh, yeah, there were points though that it would change literally on the hour, so
2: <laughs> I used to uh I used to joke that with any new hires that if you wanted to work in the cannabis industry, you have to be prepared to adapt because the rules could change minute by minute. <laughs> it's not quite that bad anymore, but it's it's still still not great, <laughs> yeah, they've at least kind of i th-
1: i think they've they've figured out for the most part what they want to do with things and it's it's leveled out, but yeah the amount of changes that you would see especially in the beginning you'd <laughs> be going through the day and in the morning you'd be told one thing was was the right way to do it and then by the by lunch you had already heard two different ways that they wanted it done <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. and I, I mean like oh, i th- think we've seen like the most explosive industry growth like if we go like province by province like Saskatchewan's pretty much wild west when it comes to like they have rules but compared to like other provinces like bc alberta and all that uh they're more regulated by a, a governing body um but like for i guess for most explosive growth you still see that in alberta because what they have like 400 stores in a one little more city? than
2: now but ooh, no, no no the they've, it's the province but oh, it's uh right. but yeah it's but but it's growing uh ironically though ontario isn't is, is I was going to say,
1: it's, yeah, it's really close between the two of them, right? Uh, Alberta and Ontario, I think, are pretty much leading when it comes to just Ontario's
2: sales are now higher, but they have less stores. Ah, okay. But that's a virtue of population. Like, yeah. if you actually look at it as a as a percentage, you know, so the number of of people actually walking into a store to purchase versus the number of purchases, uh, Alberta is still leading in that respect, at least the last time I checked like I've, it's been a couple of days since I looked so my information may be wrong now but uh, at least the last time I checked that was true but that it, it, it's a, there's a lot of factors at play like Ontario is a massive province that doesn't have the same number of stores that Alberta does and that also limits them because small areas don't have access to cannabis stores always yet
1: yeah yeah that's true and yeah you're seeing a lot of different uh, leniences with different provinces like, I'm not even I'm not even sure what half the provinces are doing that differ from the from the next there's there's so many uh it honestly if you're going to be traveling provinces at all I highly recommend looking into the the laws Rules. per that province
2: one of the, uh, one of the important things just for everyone listening so that everyone knows when, when people, when you go into a store and the bud tender says they, they can't go over a certain number, please know there is a 30 gram limit and that applies to all products. It's why we talked about, uh, equivalencies in that, that, uh, 420 episode we did, um, because the, uh, the, the equivalencies are capped at 30 dry, 30 grams of dried flour or dried flour equivalent, and that's nationwide, uh, so, you that's the maximum you can travel with, and they, if they even so much as hear that you have other weed in the car, they have to factor that into the maximum you're allowed to carry, or they can lose their jobs, um, or worse. Yeah, I was also the, the province gonna, they're in. <laughs> oh,
0: I was also going to qualify, like, at, in comparison to liquor because me, me and Leo both had extensive time in the liquor industry. We, if we had accidentally done something outside it would have been a slap on the wrist. Like if we had accidentally oversold somebody on their liquor card, um, it would have been a slap on the wrist. And the same thing goes for, kind of goes for IDing as terrible as that is, but on the cannabis side, it's jail time. Like when your bud tender doesn't wanna sell you over, it's not because they don't wanna give you the product, they don't wanna, it's not like they don't wanna make the sale they would love to give you exactly what you wanted, except it's not only their job on the line. If you get dinged your whole career in the cannabis industry is done. Mm -hmm. Like, so there's like a lot of, a lot of, uh, well, it's not fear, but there's a lot of, uh, a lot of pressure to do things correctly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. The the responsibility when it comes to IDing in the cannabis industry is a, A lot more weight to it than than in the uh, alcohol industry. Um, being that it is new, it's got a lot of eyes on it. It's it's going to be expected, but it is it is terribly annoying when you're part of the industry. So yeah, you, you bring up a very good point. If uh, if if you're having a hard time of with your with your bud tender and they, they need to see your ID and they're they're telling you that no, don't they need it? Just 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 go with it. Just be <laughs> be easy on them because they they do actually need to see it.
0: And mm-hmm. maybe get a dispensary close to your house, so if you do want to buy more, you can go home, take it home, drop it off, and come back. That's true. It's There's like, no mm-hmm.
1: carry limit in your house; it's just what you can carry no. in public. You yeah. can have as much yeah. as you want in your own home.
2: It's a, it's a, it's a, let's call it a broken attempt to limit distribution. It's to try and catch black market. Um, so essentially, you're given a little better than an ounce that you can haul around with you for personal use. And anything over that can be viewed as, as you know, suspicious. Uh, that's kind of how they've got it set up in Canada right now. I'm not here to tell you it's a great system because I've definitely known people who were going on vacation for three weeks and wanted to you know get stoned with a bunch of friends and they needed, you know, two, three ounces with them um, because they had you know 10 guys who were planning to smoke five grams a day. <laughs> um, but you, you, uh, You don't, you don't, you just have to be careful and be kind to your bud tender because they really don't want to upset you. They deal with a lot of angry people who get annoyed with them all the time. They're, they're not doing it because they enjoy it. You know, I, I never liked asking for ID when I knew the person was a regular, but you have to, if they look under a certain age. So you just, just be kind to them and remember that they're just doing their job. They want to get you the best shit they can as fast as they can, but they also have to work within this very strict framework.
1: that that actually does bring up another point in my mind here Uh, just to solidify how like how intense you have to ID people Um, my brother would walk into the store I am very well aware of his age I know he is of age to buy but I would need him to produce ID in the store to show that I was checking that he had ID that was valid and that wasn't expired because if I didn't do that with my own family I could be dinged I You'll ID'd be.
0: my mother, <laughs> and sadly, it's, if you look at my mom,
2: I need to ID my mom. Your mom does look super young. That's I true. will I will attest to that. She looks super young. It's kind of so, weird, yeah. given I know your age. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs>
0: but yeah, it, it, I've, I've ID'd my grandma, even though I didn't have to, but I asked for it, and she had to provide it. <laughs>
2: Uh, yeah, an important thing to, to note, this is for the bud tenders listening out there. Uh, this, is, this is true in most provinces, not, not all, but in, in almost all of them. I'm certified in, in several of them, and, and this is true in most of their, their frameworks. If you ask for ID, you're legally obligated to see it. So that means if you ask a senior for ID to be nice, and they say they don't have it, you mm-hmm. technically have to deny them. so just be really really cautious because in liquor i used to do that all the time to make a senior smile uh but but in cannabis there's no leniency on this if uh if an aglc officer or an oh what are they ocf officer or a uh, uh, bcdo officer or any of these people see you do that in your store you and and you don't provide the the you see the customer's ID and see that it is valid as Gorilla mentioned it has to be valid if it's expired it doesn't count as ID you have to deny them period <laughs> that's that's kind of the silly fact of the framework so for the bud tenders listening just be cautious I know it seems like a really nice thing to do but find another way to make them smile with your customer service because that one can blow up in your face and I've had that one blow up in my face and it's really really awkward and really really unfortunate when you have to realize that you screwed up and now you're gonna upset this person
0: you know my one of my favorite ones was always uh um i think i can trust you and then you give them a smile and a wink and that usually gets them to smile
2: <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah uh, the, when they ask for if they, they need to show you their id yeah yeah oh yeah
0: <laughs> just don't confirm because then yeah. you're <laughs> legally
2: obligated. Uh just because we're on the topic I will I will mention to people also pay close attention to your bud tender's code. There are ways to work within the framework that let us talk a little like right on that razor's edge where we're still on the legal side of the, the language we're allowed to use, but we can more accurately imply, uh, products that are going to be better suited to what you're asking us for. You know, we can't tell you this is going to be great for your arthritis, or this is gonna, you know, this product is known to ease pain. That is outside of our scope. It is super illegal for us to do on a national level. Um, but we can imply things safely. There are words we can do. And every buttender tender has kind of their own unique code, but it's all generally pretty understandable. So just pay attention, watch their body language, listen to how they're talking. They are going to try and lead you to the best product they know of. Uh, but sometimes we have to use kind of a very roundabout language <laughs> to get there. Oh,
1: yeah. yeah. I usually start it off with, hey, just follow my riddles for one moment here while I talk around <laughs> in circles. <laughs> uh, literally.
0: I start to fixate on the product that I'm very sure is going to do exactly what they're asking about without telling them that I'm very sure this is going to help.
1: Oh, god! Okay. So it's, it's like, yes, this one, this one. Oh, in the times, too, where you're, you're trying so hard to let them know, like, go with this, and you're, you're using every word that you can possibly think of that could be in replacement of the medical term that they threw at you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, I do find it to be very soothing and relaxing.
2: Yes. This one is great for the end of the day. Definitely. And I also <laughs> because want to you can't out... say the word sleep. Yeah, yep. <laughs> I also
0: want to point out to consumers in particular that saying you can be straight with me is a tactic used by every officer mm-hmm. to catch mm-hmm. people on, you know, non-compliance. So what you're actually doing is you're kind of triggering a response in your tender's <laughs> brain that now I have to throw more jargon at you just in case I said something that is non-compliant and you're a compliance officer. Because although you have the best intention and you want us to help you to the best of our ability, we're trying. It's just the minute you say that, it triggers us.
1: (laughs) Well, I wouldn't say triggers, but there's definitely that little bit of extra, yeah. You've got got to throw a few extra words in there to make sure. Yeah. (laughs) I'd love to trust you, but that's exactly what you would say if. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Yeah. And it's important to know like, every province right now has some version of a system for uh, making someone, like, having officers who look young go into stores to audit them. You know, in, in Ontario, uh, the, the OCS has undercovers who go in. In Alberta, the EGLC has undercovers who go in. It, the, it, it, it gets ridiculous. And these officers are specifically there to try and, 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 as Cherub mentioned, catch you in doing something you're not supposed to do and catching you in noncompliance. And no, they don't have to tell you they're an officer if you ask. <laughs> I know that's a common misconception, but they are, in fact, allowed to lie to your face, and then break out their badge later. <laughs> so, do not, under any circumstances, imagine that that person who just looks like you know your buddy, uh, and is being super friendly to you, like. And they, they tell you that, yeah, you can be straight with me. It's fine. You know, I, I, it, yeah, I won't tell anyone. No, that could be an officer. You have to pretend that every single person who comes in is an officer. So for consumers, that's why we, we have to do that. That's why we have to be cautious. That's why uh, Cherub gave you that little heads up to, to be cautious of that wording, because uh, it is, in some cases, jail time. If you screw up, depending on where you screw up in the process. So they are super cautious and no bud tender is going to risk their career over a sale.
1: And that, uh, that's usually why it may be so irritable at times to, uh, to try and deal with a, uh, with a bud tender when you don't feel like you're getting the information. I can, I can guarantee you they're probably just as irritated with the situation itself that they're yeah, not yeah. able to just tell you straight what you want to know. Um, so yeah, just, just give them the time to try and in their own words, explain.
0: Yeah, I've had a couple conversations with customers that have lasted way too long about things I can't say. Mm. And talking around (laughs) the things I can't say because I still, even mentioning that that I can't say them, I still can't say them. (laughs) Because it could be taken as, oh, I'm talking about the product and not just the fact that I can't say the words that I would like to say (laughs) to you to help you
2: it's a uh, it's still very much the wild west to a certain degree and i know we've kind of sh- shit a little bit on on that section of the industry but i just want to ask people be be patient the legal market is very very young you know there's there's over 100 years of of legacy market of black market that that have existed and it's really well refined it's a well-oiled machine there's like we're we're just heading up on on towards hitting the 3 year mark so uh It's important to be a little more gentle. Remember that the industry is young. Rules are changing. We are seeing progress being made. But like anything that involves government, it is slow. But keep advocating, you know, make sure you're talking to your local representatives, make sure that you send letters in, make sure that you don't stop advocating just because it became legal. You know, we, we, we all advocated our, our faces off and screamed from the hilltops to get it legal. Now we have to keep that effort up to make the legal market what it needs to be. And that's going to it's going to take us years. Like I, it'll take us probably 10 years. But if you consider it took us 100 years to get it legal again, I, I don't think a decade is that big of a deal. We'll do it in a tenth of the time. Literally. <laughs> That's basically light speed for politics. <laughs> Bureaucracy. We love it. <laughs> Join us next week for our first official trial
0: episode. And uh, yeah, we chat about it.